0: I'm Hillary. I'm Emily. And, and we're, we're the, the Sirens. Sirens. Today we're discussing Gilda, and this movie is bonkers, so I can't <laughs> wait to talk about it with you, Hillary. Um, it was a little bit difficult to get a short synopsis, but I'm going to do my best. While skulking around Buenos Aires, crooked gambler and all-around heel Johnny Farrell meets a wealthy casino owner, Balin Munson, who admires Johnny's impetuousness and hires him as his right-hand man and muscle. When Balin returns from a trip with a new wife named Gilda, however, it quickly becomes clear that she and Johnny are already well-acquainted. Balin, no dummy, intuits this as well, but trusts both of them to behave. When Gilda starts shacking up with everyone in Argentina but Johnny, openly flaunting her infidelity, Johnny takes steps to shield his boss from the truth, even volunteering to escort Gilda, with whom he's plainly still obsessed, to and from her liaisons. It's only a matter of time before Balan finds out there's something between them, and things turn even more sordid. (laughs) Dun-dun-dun! And a lot more stuff happens. (laughs) (laughs) That seems ridiculous. The plot was really wacky for reasons that we can get into. <laughs>
1: yeah. My hypothesis before we talk about trivia and the bio is that someone said, "Hey, that movie Casablanca se- 7 years ago did pretty well. Let's do Casablanca, but make it South America and everybody is an asshole." <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, the weird thing is that this movie actually had ostensibly a happy ending. I mean, Casablanca, but it wasn't really happy. But the couple ends together. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? And they deserve each other. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They do. (laughs) So I'm just going to dive right into the trivia because this is relevant. The script was not finished when filming began. According to choreographer Jack Cole, the script pages would arrive practically the morning that we were going to a shoot. And they were making the picture up as we went along. If you really look, you can tell that was the way the picture was done because it doesn't really make any sense if you try to follow the story. <laughs> exactly, Jack Cole. Because the whole so, like, time I was watching it, I was like, what is happening? So like that, happening?
1: that basically is what happened with Casablanca, too. So they I feel like they totally were like, if it, if it happened for Casablanca, it's totally
0: fine. You know what? Hill, they're not wrong because this is... <laughs> This movie is canon. (laughs) So, when Gilda is brought back to Argentina by Tom, she slaps Johnny hard across both sides of his face. In reality, Rita Hayworth's smacks broke two of Glenn Ford's teeth. He held his place until the take was finished. Wow. (laughs) That's some professionalism. Yeah. So, I didn't know if Rita Hayworth was really singing in the movie or not, but... She wasn't. Anita... Did, did you, okay, so I read conflicting things. Anita Ellis voiced the, put the blame on Mame. Uh Uh-huh. And the other big numbers, but I read that Rita Hayworth actually did the singing in the scene with the guitar. Um, But then in another place I read that she did it. So, unclear at this time. (laughs) This is a very dark piece of trivia. Whilst the film was in release, an atomic bomb tested at Bikini Atoll in the Pacific Ocean's Marshall Islands for an image of Rita Hayworth, a reference to her bombshell status. The fourth atomic bomb ever to be detonated was decorated with a photograph of Hayworth cut from the June 1946 issue of Esquire magazine. Above it was stenciled the device's nickname, Gilda, in two-inch black letters. Although the gesture was meant as a compliment, Hayworth was deeply offended. Yeah. <laughs> yes, which I would be too. So, I, I mean, you might get into this in the bio, but Rita Hayworth was married to Orson Wells mm-hmm. at the time mm-hmm. of this filming, uh, but they had sort of a tumultuous relationship, <laughs> and uh, Harry Cohn was worried about bad publicity affecting her box office poll. So the gossip magazines are full of stories that she was having an affair with Glenn Ford, which from what I've read, was probably true.
1: Oh, yeah, <laughs> it seemed what I read what I could find was that they had an affair that lasted over forty years.
0: Wow, okay. And it started during this movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. So <laughs> when they weren't filming, Cone would barrage the duo with angry phone calls and demand that Hayworth went home. And he went so far as to spy on the actors, and he had recording devices set up in their dressing rooms. But he got no useful information because Ford later said, of course we know our dressing rooms were bugged. The sound department tipped us off. Mm -hmm. So that's disturbing (laughs) that they (laughs) would be that much up in their business. Also, I didn't even think they had good chemistry. So it's funny to me that they had that long affair. <laughs> I know chemistry's um, not
1: everything, I guess. And I wanted to
0: ask you what you thought about this. In the years since the film was released, many people have noticed the strong indication of a gay undercurrent existing between Johnny and Balin, and Charles Vidor, who played Balance said, "Really, I." Never had any idea those boys were supposed to be like that. But Glenn Ford later acknowledged the subtext but said that it had never occurred to them at the time they were filming. Did you pick up on that? Because that went right over my head. No,
1: I didn't pick up pick up on it. I mean, it seemed like he had, he meaning Fallows, had like a, a weird obsession with like serving him and protecting Balin. I didn't equate that as like, oh, there's some kind of like gay thing going on. I happen to think that gay people aren't weird or
0: obsessive. But, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and, and generally psychopaths. Like yeah. Right. One. Right. Um, <laughs> I don't equate gayness
1: <laughs> with psychopaths.
0: That was something that seemed very odd to me in this movie was that Johnny had no real reason to be, like, as devoted mm-hmm. to Balan as he was. Yeah. And it seemed like he was weirdly obsessive about yeah. him not being hurt, but Balan seemed like he had no emotions whatsoever, so I was like, what are you really... Yeah, what's happening here? ...afraid of? I don't... I didn't get it. Like, his motivations weren't clear to me. Maybe, um, and the script all had all been had. finished
1: before the movie was, uh, started it. <laughs> Could have been clarified. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, honestly, they had better chemistry than I thought Ford and Hayworth did. But yeah. I also thought it was both because they were just like completely unethical people.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they were terrible people. So <laughs> Yeah. So part of the reason that we picked this film, and actually really the listeners picked it through a Twitter poll, but we just said we wanted to do a Rita Hayworth movie, and this is the one people picked, so I want to hear more about Rita Hayworth. Yeah,
1: well, I can tell you a little bit about her, although I will say I'm not really going to go into her, like, marriages and affairs, because she was married and divorced five times and had this long affair with uh, Glenn Ford and, you know, it was was very sad. So, Margarita Carmen Hayworth was born in Brooklyn. She was the oldest child of two dancers. Her father, Eduardo Cancino, was from a little town near uh, Seville, Spain. And her mother, Volga Hayworth, was an American who had... Uh, performed with the Zigfield Follies. Margarita's father wanted her to become a professional dancer following sort of in the family business. Her paternal grandfather Antonio Cancino was a renowned classical Spanish dancer who had popula- popularized the bolero and his dancing school that he ran in Madrid was world famous. In 1927 her father took the family to Hollywood because he thought that dancing could be featured in the movies and that you know, this would be a way to like take the family business and like get rich of it. He did actually establish his own dance studio and he taught um, a lot of stars like James Cagney and Gene Harlow, so in some ways he was right. But in nineteen thirty one he partnered with uh, Margarita, who was twelve years old at the time, to form an act called the Dancing Cancinos. Under California law at the time, she was too young to work in nightclubs and bars so his so her father, who abused her regularly, apparently, unfortunately, took her with him to work across the border in Mexico. So she had sort of a difficult childhood, and because she was uh, started working so young, she actually never graduated from high school. She started acting in uh, Mexican films. She starred in Cruz Diablo in 1934 at the age of 16, um, which led to another part in Caliente with um, Mexican actress Dolores Del Rio she continued to dance with her father in night nightclubs in Mexico. And then Winfield Sheehan, who is the head of the Fox Film Corporation, saw her dancing in a club and arranged for her to do a screen test. And based on that screen test, she was offered a six-month contract at Fox under the name Rita Cancino, which was the first of two name changes during her film career. By the end of that six-month contract... Fox had merged into 20th Century Fox. They didn't want to renew her contract. And um, Columbia Pictures snatched her up um, and tried her out in some small roles first. But um, Harry Cohn from Columbia argued that her uh, image was too Mediterranean, which he decided that he wanted to change her name because her name sounded too Spanish because it was Spanish. And so they decided to, the studio decided to change her name from Rita Cansino to Rita Hayworth, which was her mother's uh, maiden name. Her father really didn't like that because he was controlling. So they, they thought that that would give her a more, like, classic American appeal. She sounded more white, in other words. Um, yeah. <laughs> she... She appeared in a number of different Columbia pictures in 1937, worked a lot generally like over the course of her, career, her career up until she retired from movies, she worked basically constantly. And in 19. 19- 39 she appeared in a small but important role in the movie only angels have wings which she played opposite Cary Grant and Jean Arthur which I have not seen and it's always been on my like to watch list she then was cast in the musical you'll never get rich opposite Fred Astaire Uh, it was one of the highest budgeted films Columbia had ever made it was very successful and they went on to release another Astaire and Hayworth movie the following year you were never lovelier which was uh, a front runner for the movies that we watched for this episode. Just as a side note, Fred Astaire—he never wanted to reveal who his favorite dancing partner was, but at some point he like let slip that Rita Hayworth was his favorite dancing partner. Um, oh, so there you go.
0: Betrayal of Ginger. I know. <laughs>
1: I don't know how I feel about this. Um, in uh, March 1942, she visited Brazil as a cultural adba- ad- ambassador for the Roosevelt administration. And all throughout the war period, she contributed to, like, cultural diplomacy initiatives and other kinds of war efforts. And then for three consecutive years, starting in 1944, she was one of the top movie box office attractions in the world. I mentioned that she was married and divorced five times. She was married to Prince Ali Khan, which was basically abusive from start to finish. Uh, after that divorce, she, had to, she returned to Hollywood and did her comeback role in Affair in Trinidad, which also paired her with Glenn Ford. She was a little bit worried about coming back, but it was a highly successful film. And she continued to act until the early 1970s and appearing in lots of different films. She also made appearances on television shows like laugh and The Carol Burnett Show, and her last film was *The Wrath of God* in 1972, which was a western. And by then, it was fairly obvious to everyone that she had pretty poor health, um, and that her mental state was worsening. She had been sort of prone to outbursts throughout her working career, and was sort of always attributed to alcoholism. And in the filming of The Wrath of God, it was clear that she couldn't remember her lines. And so her scenes were shot one line at a time. And no. in 1976, she was removed from a TWA flight in London because she had this angry outburst. And it uh, got a lot of negative publicity. And there was, you know, it was just really horrible. And um it was but it was the event that sort of catalyzed her of uh, finally coming to understand that she actually, like what the problem was was that she also actually had um, Alzheimer's. And mm. she, because of that diagnosis, she became a face for for the disease. She was a lifelong Democrat who was an active member of the Hollywood Democratic Committee. Um she was very involved in the campaign to elect FDR. And, you know, was very involved with politics in, you know, over the course of her life. She died um, at age 68 on May 14, 1987, in Manhattan. And her pallbearers, I thought this was noteworthy, included Ricardo Montal- Montalban, uh, Glenn Ford, uh, Cesar Romero, Anthony Franciosa, um, a choreographer named Hermes Penn, and then a a family friend Philip Luchin Bill, and she was buried
0: in Culver City. That's a pretty sad life overall, though. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was kind of traumatic wading through like her marriages, and uh, there were traumatic things with her daughters, especially as they like sort of did moved into caretaking roles and realized that, you know, she wasn't just struggling with alcoholism, she, you know, she also had Alzheimer's. What I read said it was kind of a blessing and a curse to get that
0: diagnosis because they
1: finally had some answers for what was happening.
0: It kind of makes sense to me that she was so good in this role because it sounds like she was abused by a Mm -hmm. lot of men over the course of her life. Yeah, a little bit of art imitating life. Yeah, so maybe she could relate to this character. Yeah. I thought this movie had one of the most... Dysfunctional, abusive portrayals of a love relationship that I have ever seen on screen.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it kind of sets us up. A movie we're watching later in this year is Gaslight, and this movie kind of nicely sets us
0: up for that, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, you said there were some parallels with Casablanca, like, and in, in Casablanca, Rick is a jerk when his love like comes back into his life and I didn't like that but like this is like a whole this isn't even the same ballpark as that well <laughs> yeah and then like different. at least
1: in Casablanca you get some like you get you uh, you get the backstory to understand why he's a jerk he's a jerk because he's in love with her you know and he she just like she said she was gonna marry him and then he she disappeared and thought he thought he was never gonna see her again And so then he sees her again, and he's married to another man, and eventually he does the right thing. Yeah. Or a, like, honorable thing. Like, he honors the fact that he loves her and, like, respects her and the work that, like, everyone is doing for, like, the wider world. In this movie, he's just being an asshole to her. And there's, like, some references to, like... Happened in the past,
0: but like what
1: happened in the past that he's such a jerk to her. I know, and I
0: I thought when I was like doing research on the film, I thought it would be more clear on what the backstory was. I was like, well, maybe I just missed certain things. You know, I'd never seen this movie before, but I do remember certain lines, like where Gilda says she tried being faithful to someone, it didn't work out, and she also references. Johnny leaving her. Mm-hmm. So my assumption was that they were together and he left her. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was like, well, if that's the case, then, like, what is he pissed about? Yeah. <laughs> the three main, like, roles in this movie were all pretty horrible, but there are different levels, and my sympathies definitely played the most with Gilda. Because, like, yeah. it, it, it's revealed she didn't even cheat anyway. She just made it look like she did. Yeah. and But even if she was cheating with all those people, like... Infidelity not great, but it's not the same level as like emotional abuse. Emotional abuse. Plus Johnny and Munson were like killing people and stuff. So like that's a different level. Like they were they were doing like actual Illegal things and violent things, but at least like it's like part in, of their life. Yeah,
1: but at least Munson, like it was like uh, like an integral part of his life. He, there was some. I hate to use the word like integrity, but there was some integrity in Balon's life because you know, like he, from start to finish, you knew he just was not a like a great guy. He ran a casino; that was obviously a front for something else. That, like, the police wasn't... They weren't closing because they were trying to figure out what the, like, bigger thing was and how they could nail him for the bigger thing. Turns out it was a cartel for Tungsten. Sure. And for which he, like, you know, was bumping off people and taking advantage of people. You know, he was pretty consistently a terrible person. And, like, in some ways, I give him some kind of credit for just being... You could expect that he was just a bad person from start to finish. And then these there are these two other characters who are like,
0: What is wrong with you people? Why are yeah, you that, like I, this? I it did make me wonder like if people were supposed to identify with Johnny. The the final like third of the film Yeah. Was just so awful to watch. Like he Yeah. And he's like He's doing voiceover where he's like, she didn't realize that I had closed the door of her cage. I had her followed everywhere. She could never escape. She was like, and he kept saying stuff like, she wouldn't be faithful to Munson when he was alive, but she would then. And I was like, why do you care? Yeah. It's not. You're finally, you got her again. Yeah. None of that made any sense to me. And it was just so abusive and horrible. Yeah. And he married her right away and, like, took over all of the financials.
1: Yeah, and then put her in an apartment by herself and then didn't go see her for, you know, however much time. And, you know, when she finally shows up and is like, hi, like, remember me, he, like, blows her off.
0: Yeah, the way he treated her, and even in the earlier parts of the film, he kind of, like, handled her roughly. Yeah. Physically, too, and I kept, like... She really fit the profile to me of, like, an abuse victim Yeah, where she kind of had that, like, emotional, like, tie up between love and the abuse. Like, yeah. their whole thing about, like, love and hate. I, mean, I do think yeah. that Munson was correct that hatred is not the opposite of love, like, differences, And that if you hate someone, like, there's obviously still... <laughs> Feelings there. Which, like, can
1: we just acknowledge that that is pretty effed up?
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a healthy Um, relationship. (laughs) No, and and, like, I do know that there are still people who think love is this, like, torturous thing like that, where it's, like, all up and down, and you're at each other's throats, but you love each other, and I'm just like, no, this is... Awful, like, if you need to get out, like, I was just, like, killed up. Like, I wish there was some way for her to escape. I know,
1: I was like, where is the, like, wise woman who's gonna swoop in and be like, let's get out of here? Or even the, like, you know, cloak room attendant guy, like, can he, like, swoop in and be like, hey, let's get out of here, that policeman, like, yeah. swoop in, let's get her out of here.
0: Even all of the, like, minor male characters in the movie were really horrible, because they were like, oh yeah... Like, he's keeping her prisoner now. And they were like, well, you know how it is. We gotta listen to Johnny. Like, they all knew what was going on. Yeah. I, I want there to be an alternate ending of this movie where Gilda and that, like, old woman who helped her dress named Maria, like, plan an escape. Yes.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> and they go to, like, Manhattan and get as far away as possible. She can go to Casablanca, go the other way, and, you know, have a free life.
0: Yes. The other part of the movie that I just didn't understand, like, the, the overtones of the whole movie to me were very, like, creepy and sinister, <laughs> and yes. um, I, di- I kept thinking that there was going to be some sort of surprise twist with Munson, and, and, like, so he brings Gilda home, he notices that there's, like, obviously something between her and Johnny, but he weirdly keeps forcing them together over and over and over again. Yeah. Like, to to an extent that makes no sense. Like, why would he have his employee be like, you have to have dinner with us. You go pick up Gildy. You do this. Like, it made no sense. Like, why did they have to be besties? Yeah.
1: Or he, like, it's consistent with him being a terrible person and he, like, recognizes that, like, this is like, a pain point, and if he, like, continues to press on the pain point, it will cause, like, some kind of, like, discord or terrible experience for
0: these two other people. I mean, I guess, I just kept thinking that it would eventually be revealed that, like, he knew there was a connection there, and he deliberately brought Gilda back to, like, yeah antagonize Johnny. But that wasn't, that wasn't true, apparently. And Johnny kept saying that Balan was... Like, so in love with her, but he showed absolutely no emotion <laughs> <I know. laughs> at all. And I was like, where is he getting this from that he's so in love with her? It was naked. sad because, like, the two men in the movie had this amazing, very sexually appealing woman, and, like, neither of them really showed a passion towards her that seemed believable.
1: Yeah. No passion, no, like, compassion. Not that.
0: No. <laughs> uh, can I tell you some crazy ideas I have about subtext that probably isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> okay. And uh, after, yeah, like, while I was watching the movie, I came up with this, and then I would, when I read the script had been, like, put together like that, I was like, all right, this isn't true, but whatever. Um, <laughs> we the try. whole movie. From the first introduction of Munson and the fact that it was set in Argentina and like the timing and everything and, and the and his voice. I assumed that he was like one of those ex-Nazis who Oh fleed. totally. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you got that too, because yes. like I was like, he has a very faint traits of a German accent. Yeah. He has German associates and the way his like mannerisms and behaviors Seemed very like stereo, like the stereotype of the cold German. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I assumed um, that that was gonna come up somewhere that he had been a Nazi and now he isn't was in Argentina. I don't know if like in nineteen forty nine that was totally like known, but yeah, I assumed that it was gonna come up.
0: Okay, well, so good that I don't feel so crazy because no. yeah, I thought that was gonna be a whole plot point. <laughs> that eventually they would be like, oh, he's a Nazi, and... Maybe if they had time to revise the script, that would have come up in (laughs) the second edit. The other part I didn't really understand, and you need to explain to me, Hill, is that guy who was, like, getting the bribe, but then they cut off the bribe. What was he coming to? Was it the roulette table Mm -hmm. or something like that? Yeah. Explain that to me.
1: I don't know that I can, because it seemed at first (laughs) that he was getting the bribe to, like... He, he, he had some other kind of, like, tungsten mine or something, and so they were, like, bribing him to, like, like not compete with them, and then, you know, th- then they said, you know, you can't, like, sell to this one guy or one operation or whatever, and then he said, well, that's the only place I can sell to, and Balan's like, yeah. We're saying you can't tell to anyone, basically. And then he, like, flips out and, you know, shoots up the casino and ends up killing himself. I, I don't know. I don't... That's what I got from it. But I, the logic of it, I don't know.
0: I'm not the leader yeah. of a cartel. I don't know. <laughs> that that part was all very unclear. I mean, there are a lot of loose ends in this <laughs> script.
1: Yeah, there are um. a lot of loose ends. Like, unanswered qu- questions that are not comfortable
0: I wrote at one point this movie is super weird what is everyone about <laughs> <laughs> What did you think of the barber again a character that
1: I feel like could have been clarified in like revision number seven I guess I appreciated him as this like like if anybody of anybody that was the character that I like identified with like oh like that yeah. is this is a normal person who's not a psychopath he like recognizes that like, He's the bottom of the totem pole, but he's gonna, like, play with people when he can. get. He likes his job because he gets the gossip, so he, like, he's the bottom of the totem pole, but he get he knows what's happening. You know, ultimately, like, no one really cares what he thinks or sees because he's the bottom of the, the totem pole. But he, like, he also, you know, because of his position and, like, the way that he's, like, always had that job, he, like has a good sense of the world and a good, like, sort of philosophy about the world, too, I guess.
0: Yeah, I thought he was the most likable character, probably, but but that's not saying much. I know, like, yeah, compared to these psychopaths that are... (laughs) Yeah. What did you think of Rita Hayworth's sex appeal in the movie like did i think did, did I, it live up because like this is like the you know it's people still think this is one of the sexiest portrayals like in all films
1: i mean i so i had trouble because you know from for most of the movie i was, i was just so like worried about her being imperiled by these men like i couldn't pay attention to her sex appeal because i you know, it was like you're being emotionally manipulated and abused by these men and you're being forced into a position where you don't, like, you're not allowed to, like, do what you want. Or, like, in order to do what you want, you have to be a jerk. And so it was kind of, like, totally distracted me from, you know, how beautiful she
0: was. Well, I did that I mean, she was hot like <laughs> in <into> this role. <laughs> Co- coming from a straight woman. <laughs> I thought she was very sexy in it. Like, a lot of the kind of famous scenes. Yeah. You could see why they were, like, the hair flip and the, the scene where, like, she's putting a stocking on and you just see, like, her legs sticking up. Yeah. And the scene where she's in the black strapless dress and she's, like, dancing and taking off her gloves. and Like, all of that, I did think, was very sexy. But before I saw the movie, I kind of just thought it would be, like, a fun, sexy role. But you're right that, like, she was such a tragic... Character, at least, like, the way that I read it, that mm-hmm. it, it was... She was also sad. Like, when she was doing all of those parts, when she was doing that, she was clearly, like, putting on an act. Yeah. And then you saw her being vulnerable at other times and scared and, like, beaten down. Like, uh, really almost, they, like, basically broke her emotionally. Yeah, So, like, that was hard because... It was hard for me to be like, oh, this, like, super abused woman is just, like, a sex symbol. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Totally. So I had mixed feelings about it. Like, the way it was filmed was definitely appreciative of her looks. And I could see why men would like it. But there was a lot more there in that role. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, it wasn't like Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, where Marilyn Monroe was just like, I'm singing and acting silly, and it's just like a fun, sexy role. This was like a very sad,
1: sexy role. It was hard to
0: watch, I thought. Yeah, agreed. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. Well, should we talk about social justice? (laughs) Yes. Do you feel like there were elements of social justice in this movie? No, not at all. (laughs) No, I don't think so. Even the police didn't seem to really care about anything very much.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the police were, like, interested primarily in breaking up the cartel. You know, in the end they were like, well, he's already died once, and a guy can only die once. So we're not prosecuting anybody for killing him. But I don't think that that, like, really qualifies. I wanted desperately some more social justice, you know, the kind of thing that you already described where, you know, she, Gilda and Maria, like, flee to some place and get jobs and support themselves and, you know, don't have to deal with these dumbass men, but... Yeah,
0: I agree with you. And I think there were opportunities for it, but it was just such a dark world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... I don't know if really there was... Like, no one really seemed to have a strong... Moral compass? Moral... Yeah. No. I've been living my own life, making my own decisions for a long while now. It's impossible to go back to being treated like a child again. What about
1: Bechtel? Do Gilda and Maria actually talk about something other than men?
0: So I wrote this down that when they're having the conversation... Like, while she's getting dressed. They actually talk about carnival. Like, Gilda asks Maria, like, what is carnival about? Why do people do it? And Maria's, like, explaining the holidays. So, I guess that counts. I mean, like, Maria's not a developed character. Yes, it's the one scene she's in. So (laughs) Yeah, so I don't know. But they do talk about something other than a man. And even, like, what it's actually talking about isn't really about a man. It's more about that she's superstitious and is, like, dreading something.
1: Yeah, and it turns out what she should be dreading is the men in her life.
0: Yes, and she was right to feel that way. Yeah,
1: totally well-founded fear of the men in her life.
0: What would you rate this movie? I don't know.
1: I was thinking about it before recording, and I want to give it a really low score because, you know, I just found it so disturbing and disjointed, and Mm -hmm. I'm glad that we watched it because... It is such a like important movie in the whole like canon of classic
0: Hollywood movies, you know. But I want to give it like a one point five. Wow, I think I think we're switching roles here. <laughs> but I mean, that's your problem. I think. Is it? Are uh, you giving it a five? <laughs> five out of five. <laughs> Can I go above five? That's right. It's way better than nobody. I'm gonna give it a two point five, mm-hmm. and here's why because. Watching it, I was really held wrapped the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was so creepy, and I just kept trying to figure out what was going on. And there was a lot of suspense. So in terms of an actual movie watching experience, like going from Neptune's daughter to this, like <laughs> Neptune's daughter, I was like, "Is this over yet?" Like, how long is Red Skeleton going to do this horse scene?
1: How long do you, you have know, to like, maybe <laughs> it's cold outside. <laughs>
0: And this movie, like, it was disturbing. It wasn't a fun watch, but I did find it, like, captivating while I was watching. So, and also I thought Rita Hayworth's performance was really good. So I'm going to give it
1: 2.5. Can I give Rita Hayworth's performance a 3? But the rest of the movie, a
0: you, 1.5? You know what? You could do whatever you want. It's our podcast. <laughs> so,
1: as long as you agree. The
0: terms. You're setting a precedent where we can rate. Rate the performance. That. I mean, it made me want to watch more movies with her. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think the Fred Astaire ones would be, like, much more up my alley.
1: Yeah. Well, and it would be interesting to see how, like, what, I imagine that those roles are very, very different.
0: Yeah. Well, so, speaking of musicals, what's our next movie, Hill?
1: I was our next movie is Forty um, Second Street.
0: Yes, I'm so excited.
1: <laughs> May it please the court, I submit that my entire line of defense is based on the proposition that persons of the female sex should be dealt
0: with before the law as the equals of persons of the male sex.
1: Follow the Screen Sirens on Twitter at the Screen Sirens,
0: and leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud to help other people find us. Thanks for listening. After all, tomorrow. Is another day?